City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter 2011, first show where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Whether you're watching on the Heart of the Matter on the NRB Network, uh, Direct TV, Channel 378, or listening on AM820, The Truth, we welcome you. I'm standing here with Chase from Sandy. He is 27 years old. He uh, has, he's a polygamist, he has 72 wives. <laughs> And he wanted to come on and tell you about the glory of being a polygamist. What do you have to say, Chase? Uh, it's not nice. <laughs> See? So you want to get out of all of it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anything you want to say to your family or friends out there? Hi. How you doing? Very good. And what are you interested in? Uh, sports? Yeah. I play soccer. Soccer. Very good. Uh, into music? Mm-hmm. Good. Anything special? What do you mean? Any particular type? Oh, I play the trumpet. Very good. Yeah. Good job. Well, it's an honor to have you on the show, my friend. Keep Thanks. playing soccer. We'll see you as you grow up. We'll read about you in the paper. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Thank you. Bye-bye. Heart of the Matter can be seen on live television, of course, through streaming video at www.hotm.tv. In our archives at the same website, uh, we have all the shows and over the web, especially at youtube.com. Wherever you're watching from, we welcome you. Bible study, Sundays, 2.30 to 3.30. U of U, go to calvarycampus.com for more information. Heart of the Matter is replayed every week on Sundays from 1 to 2 on AM 820. KUTR, the truth. Listen to it. There's a winter coat drive. Gently used in new winter coats for men and women are appreciated. You can bring them here to the station between now and the end of February. Drop them by between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday, 314 South Redwood Road, between I-80, it's south of the I-80, and north of 400 South. Very easy to find. It is for the rescue mission of Salt Lake City. We're supporting them to help keep those less fortunate than us warm during these cold freezing winter months. I Was a Born Again Mormon is available at Lifeway Christian Bookstores, Christian Gift and Bible, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, Utah Lighthouse Ministry, Oasis Books in Logan, Gift of Grace in Springville, Living Word Bookstore in Twin Falls, Idaho, Christian Center Books in Park City, and of course online at www.hotm.tv. A new book coming out, If My Kingdom Were of This World, then my servants would fight. You can see it here. Um, the subtitle to this book is A Believer's Refusal to Join Modern Christian Culture. To me, it is one of the most important books a Christian can read in this day and age. If you order it, now you will get a free copy 
of uh, the Bible versus the Book of Mormon with your purchase. You can get that at hotm.tv. Okay, we're going to try to cover some emails at the beginning of each show throughout this year. The reason is we love your emails, we love your insights, uh, your stories, your corrections, everything that you say and write to us, we appreciate, we're grateful for. So let me uh, take them, emails and a few other things. First of all, this is from Shirlene. She says, I believe that you must know, but I am not picking up on the fact that you know that Mormons believe in the, in salvation through Jesus Christ, but exaltation, the doing, attending meetings, tithing, temple, etc., is accomplished by their own efforts. Just thought I would run this by you. Well, <clears throat> there's a problem with the word salvation in Mormonism, uh, Shirlene, because their article of faith, their, one of the first articles of faith says, we believe that all mankind may be saved, that salvation may be saved by, it doesn't say Jesus Christ, it says by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the Mormon gospel. So it's obedience that salvation is wrought. You see, if you don't obey the, uh, the laws and ordinances of the Mormon gospel, like baptism, you do not have salvation in the sense of going to the celestial kingdom. You see, exaltation is when you become a god in the celestial kingdom and true. That is based on the performance of your works. However, even salvation is based upon your obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. So I differ with you a little bit. I understand what you're saying. And that's why you don't hear it coming from me because they truly don't believe in, in salvation by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone the way a Christian does. Carrie uh, writes, I just talked to my little brother who's Mormon this evening about the new truth. I recently discovered how much the church is a lie. Well, I don't know a lot about Christianity yet. And he asked me a question. I don't know the answer. I thought you might have some insight. He asked, if you are saved by grace of God and you know you are saved, then it's okay to go murder somebody because you know that you are saved. What do you do with that? Well, it's, it would be as if you were on a, a luxury cruise liner and you fell into a storm-tossed sea and you struggled to find a piece of wood to cling to and you clung to that piece of wood for a week and you're about to die of thirst, the sea is churning, sharks come. I mean, it is a battle for your life for that full week in that salty, ugly water, and then the Coast Guard comes and rescues you and brings you back back to life. It would be like you having experienced that and being saved, and then getting on a luxury cruise liner again and wanting to jump off into the storm-tossed sea and experience that same thing again. Who would want to do it? Who would want to go murder somebody if they have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? I've never met somebody who would want to do that. And, and, and so that's, that's kind of like a parallel. When you ask that question, all it shows to me is that you don't understand what salvation is. Your brother doesn't understand. And he thinks that if you just say it, then you can go and murder when they are just diametrically opposed to each other in terms of their action. When you are saved, you would never want to murder. Not only not murder, you don't, I, mean, I mean, it leaves you because you honor Christ so much for having saved you from that wretched life that you had before. Best way I can answer it in this short period of time. 
Another one from Grant. He says he's learned a, a great deal about Mormonism through his LDS faith. His parents joined when he was three. He's 35 years old. He's still a worthy member. He said, yesterday I had this experience while listening to your podcast at work. He wrote in his journal. It says, am I born again? Polygamy part two talks about Jesus being able to live within us. I prayed and asked that Jesus enter my heart and I felt him enter. I've been emotional, ethereal, lightened for the last hour. Tears at the surface, but not sadness. Wonder at the, heart, at the sunshine and trees and blue sky. Closeness with God. Weird to breathe, not hard, just different. <clears throat> Weird shivers, but not cold. Caught up, not hearing what's going on, not seeing the work before me. Peace, light, love. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That's what he wrote in his journal. Uh, so we praise God for things like this. It's what makes everything worthwhile. <clears throat> so from the emails, a couple highlights, and we'll read more uh, toward the end of the show if our callers get uh, stacked up or something. Also, we have a note here that someone called in and said, I'm going to make... I'm going to invade you in three weeks dressed like a giant rabbit uh, in front of Sean. It will go on YouTube, but will I be arrested? Uh, I want you to know that you won't make it to the stage if you show up to the studio in a, in a giant rabbit costume. You won't make it to this sound stage right now, so don't even do it. It's a waste of time, and uh, just to let you know. Okay, a few years ago, I had an LDS man sit down with me, completely convinced that if we would just start reading the book of Matthew together from the beginning, the evidences for Mormonism would start popping out all over the place. He stated the rules of the game. We will just read the word together and we'll stop on verses that are significant to either of us. Not having regenerated eyes, he thought that a Bible-believing Christian would read the word like he read the word as a Mormon. He found this wasn't so. There was hardly a verse I didn't want to stop and talk about. Verses that were to him very unimportant. This year we're going to take five to eight minutes at the beginning of each show and we're going to start with Matthew, the very first chapter, and work our way through scripture illustrating how contrary the word of God is to Mormonism even in some very simple passages. We're going to call this segment From the Word. So let's begin in Matthew chapter 1. To the LDS, genealogy is important, not only in establishing family history so that temple rituals can be done, but to individual LDS people and their worth. Who is related to who is important in Mormonism, especially among the ruling class, as many of the Salt Lake brethren are somehow related to each other. In fact, if I have my data correct, the only apostle living today who's in the LDS church that is not related to another apostle there in the Quorum of the Twelve is Richard G. Scott. Poor guy, he must feel very lonely. The deeper and the familial roots a person has to a noted or a stalwart LDS leader, the more impressive their LDS pedigree is viewed by other members of the church. <clears throat> But when we go to open the Gospel of Matthew, very first chapter, we come face to face with another genealogy, that of Jesus Christ. What's interesting about his genealogy is the amount of ugliness that's in it. Why would this be? Why would God, who could have had his only begotten son, 
come through a pure line of very devout and good men, impeccable men of pure action, why would he ca- have him come through a line that's littered with moral failures? What do I mean? Well, in verse 3 of chapter 1, Matthew writes in the Lord's genealogy, And Judas begat Perez and Zerah of Tamar. Do you know the story behind that? Judah, thinking he had prepaid to have sexual relationships with a prostitute, had unbeknownst to him hired his own daughter-in-law who was dressed as one in disguise. She conceived and bore her father-in-law twins. It was through this line uh, and the first twin, Pharaohs, that our Lord came. I think we could even go so far to say that if Judah had not been involved with his daughter-in-law in this way, Jesus would have had to come through a different line completely. But he didn't, did he? Why? Drop down to verse 6 in Matthew where the genealogy is read, and it says, And David the king begat Solomon, of her that had been the wife of Urias. You're familiar with the story, right? King David... Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop, an affair ensues, and David gets Bathsheba pregnant. Hmm, what does David do next? He has Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed to hide the pregnancy. And then he marries Bathsheba, and they have another son. His name? Solomon. And it is through this relationship, too, that Jesus Christ came. Why and what is God saying through this story? He was saying that we are not saved, we are not less of a people, we are not more of a people by virtue of our DNA through righteous or unrighteous heritage of flesh or through golden genealogies. These are the fodders for man-made myths and their kingdoms. But God sent his only son through a heritage that was riddled with sin into a world that received him only in a manger and into a life where there is no place for him to rest his head. And then, as the lowest of all, filled with our sin, this world crucified him on an old wooden cross for all sinners, including people who think that their family history somehow makes them holier, more worthy, or more prepared to enter into the celestial kingdom. We get all this from the Word. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Lord in heaven, we, uh, we thank you and love you. We're grateful for the airtime. We're grateful for your word. And we pray that you will be with us as we embark on this new year. We're covering a difficult subject matter throughout the year, God. We need you, Lord, uh, with us. We thank you for our volunteers. We thank you for our audience members here and wherever they may be. Pray you'll be with us. Send your spirit to be with me as we now deliver this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Each or every single kingdom in heaven, on earth, and even below it has its own king, its own culture, its own laws and rules, and its own ordinances. Every citizen in these kingdoms agrees, more or less, to contribute to the purposes of their kingdom, to adapt to its culture, and to honor their respective king and his vision for the empire in which they abide. On earth today, there are more than 44 different monarchical kingdoms from Saudi Arabia to Dubai, from Brunei to Thailand. Each of them have a king. They have a royal family, a palace, a way of living, and a theme of sorts. 
Kingdoms can be fanciful, they can be mythical, and even they can be constructed for entertainment purposes. There are kingdoms that exist within the virtual world of video games. Consider the Magic Kingdom founded by Imagineer visionary Walt Disney. Make a visit someday and take a note of the world Mr. Walt imagined, the culture that prevails there at Disneyland, and the rules of being, what he, being part of what he called the happiest place on earth. Imagine what must have been the focus, the intent, and the purposes of Walt Disney in creating his magic kingdom in the first place. Now, stop and examine the kingdom to which you belong. Who is the king of your kingdom? Truly. You can discover who your king is by looking at who authored the rules, the expectations, the purposes that you hold most dear. Obviously, the king of communism was Karl Marx, and people serve his rules, his vision, and his purposes if they are communists. The king of Jonestown was none other than a guy named Jim Jones. As people lived by his rules and his vision for living, they worshiped and believed in what he said. Have you examined the purposes and the intents of the king of your kingdom? Are you really living as de a devoted subject to your king's wishes? If you are truly honest and look at the truth, you might find you serve a different king than you actually uh, believe. For the next year, beneath all the facts and discussions and quotes, we are essentially going to be examining and comparing three kingdoms. First, the kingdom established by Jesus Christ. Second, the kingdom established by Joseph Smith. And third, and unfortunately, the kingdom established by misled religious people who use the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, and his name. We will look at these kingdoms locations if they have one, their purpose and focus, what drives them to do what they do, their written and unwritten laws, and how vastly different they are from each other. Even though today the kingdom that Joseph Smith envisioned and the one that many dis misguided Christians endorse are quickly becoming more and more aligned. Now understand ahead of time this is going to be a very difficult year for most of us. If you choose to watch the program, you are going to be challenged, I can assure you. Many of you are going to react. Some may be incensed at my suggestions, and I suppose we will lose viewers and supporters and even some longtime friends. But we are not presenting anything new. All of it is couched and founded in the New Testament, which is what we will be using as our guide. So hang with us. Hear things through and open up your Bible to prove me wrong in areas where I may very well be. And by the time the last day of December 2011 rolls around, there should be no question to anyone about who sits on what throne and what is expected of you if you are truly a devoted subject to the king on that throne. Now, what makes this topic so bloody difficult to articulate and defend is the fact that there are several interrelated factors uh, that must be considered before a true understanding can be realized between you and I. 
These factors include a working knowledge of some very big words. They include your eschatological position. What that means is how, what your view is of the end times. They include your soteriological position, uh, which means how you see salvation, how it comes and how it is merited and how it is, how it is even retained. Uh, it will include how you define Christian fruit, what those fruits are. It will include how you define Christian love and how that love is enacted. It will also include your idea of what the kingdom of Christ is and how that kingdom ought to look, whether you can see it or not. Add into the mix the fact that there is liberty for all believers in Christ and we have a complex and difficult task of comprehension ahead of us. I believe with all my heart uh, that this information, even if it's not received well today, will at some point in time in the future of this country especially, will be used as a reference to a lost and frustrated generation of believers. Okay, in the last week of 2010 here on Heart of the Matter, I mentioned that almost from the beginning, Mormonism has sought, fought, strived, and worked to become not a but the world political power. I said that Joseph's ultimate intentions were to establish what he called the kingdom of God right here on earth. That on March 11th of 1844, Joseph Smith Jr. began to organize what he hoped would eventually become a sovereign Mormon state, and that he secretly formed a council of 50 princes to become the highest court on this earth. One of the first things those princes did was gather around him and ordain him king of the kingdom of God on earth. We showed you two quotes from Joseph Smith. Let's show them again. One, it said, I calculate to be one of the instruments in setting up the kingdom of, of Daniel by the word of the Lord, and I intend to lay a foundation that will revolutionize the whole world. That's from Joseph Smith talking about his intent, and what he plans to do, revolutionize the whole world. The next quote, speaking of this revolutionary foundation, Joseph Smith said, It will not be by the sword or the gun that this kingdom will roll on. The power of truth is such that all the nations will be under the necessity of obeying the gospel. This, my friends, describes what Joseph called a theodemocracy. The problem is many Christians today yearn for a similar state. Let me say that again. The problem is many Christians today yearn, hope for a similar Christian state. Let's read a quote from the so-called prophet that he gave just months before his death. I can assure you that this quote would impress many Christian Republicans today if it had only been stated by somebody else. In an April 15, 1844, Times and Seasons article, volume 5, number 8, page 510, Joseph Smith said in his bid to become President of the United States, listen to this, read this quote. As the world is governed too much, and as there is not a nation or dynasty now occupying the earth with the, which acknowledges Almighty God as their lawgiver, and as crowns won by blood, by blood must be maintained, I go emphatically virtuously and humanely for a theodemocracy 
where God and the people hold the power to conduct the affairs of men in righteousness and where liberty, free trade, and sailors' rights and the protection of life and property shall be maintained inviolate for the benefit of all. To exalt mankind is nobly acting the part of a god. To denigrate them is meanly doing the drudgery of the devil. Unitas, libertas, caritas, esto perpetua. He ends, and what that means is, with the highest sentiments of regard for all men, I am an advocate of unadulterated freedom. End quote. Do you agree with that? Does that, if you sat back and read that and digested those words, I can assure you that those words would motivate you and inspire you towards that type of democracy, a theocratic de- democracy, which is, which is run supposedly by God, hand in hand with men under theocratic rule. As a Christian, does that statement reflect your heart on national policy, on go- government and politics? Be honest. Are you a Christian who believes it is your duty as believers in Jesus Christ to embrace at least the meaning of what Joseph Smith had behind his theodemocracy? Think before you answer that, folks. Think when you sit and you watch the the news and you watch what's happening to the governments. Think of what your position is, because I can assure you it dovetails in with the LDS position. That is a danger that we're going to explore over the course of the year. Ask yourself, are you involved in seeing too that your nation is preferably Republican, decidedly Christian, that you have a Christian president, a Christian Senate, a Christian house? Do you believe it is incumbent upon all true believers in Jesus to be involved in politics, to campaign and to uh, protest against what the Bible calls sin and what the Bible states emphatically is sin? I am not a good Christian if I don't vote. Uh, if I don't care, if I have a come what may attitude, do you view me as somebody who is less of a Christian because I'm not involved in these social events in the fallen world? You see, my friends, it's all about which kingdom you serve. Who is your king and what are his expectations? On April 7th of 1842, Joseph Smith supposedly received a revelation from God who instructed him to establish this new organization that was parallel to the church. People don't understand that. He stepped out and he said, this group is going to govern the world and it is a parallel organization to the LDS uh, doctrinal church. This is a separate group. In my opinion, it was his venture into world politics, a venture that continues from Mormonism today. This parallel organization is commonly known as the Council of Fifty, uh, the one where Joseph Smith had himself ordained as king. There's not much documentation on it, partly because when Joseph Smith was being taken to Carthage jail before he was murdered, he told his secretary to burn the minutes. This was not done. But the minutes today are kept in a secret vault in the LDS Church Presidency's office in order, in my opinion, to be pulled out and used on members sometime in the future. Basically, Joseph Smith ordained uh, this council to be the governing body of the world. According to Andrew E. Hott's book, It Seems Like Heaven Began on Earth, Joseph Smith and the Constitution of the Kingdom of God, found at BYU Studies, Volume 20, Number 3, page 253. Um, The real name of this group supposedly came from God when Joseph Smith saying, here's the quote, Verily thus saith the Lord, 
This is the name by which you shall be called. Here it is. The kingdom of God and his law with the keys and power thereof and judgment in the hand of his servants. Amen, Christ. Remember, this was a parallel group to the church. And in Joseph's mind, it was a rock hewn. It was the rock hewn out of the mountain in, uh, as recorded by Daniel that would fill the whole earth cut out without hands. Later LDS prophets would, would kind of skew this and say the church is what will roll forth and fill the earth. Joseph Smith emphatically meant that it was this parallel political group that would roll forth and fill the earth. They're trying to do it still today. Even though Smith claimed to receive a revelation in 1842, he waited until uh, 1844 to establish it. Emma and others were not completely ready to hear all of Joseph Smith's visions, so he waited. But once he had added the capacity of king and queen to his priesthood rituals in the temple, and the council, he organized the council. And according to Dean Michael Quinn in his book, The Mormon Hierarchy, page 128-129, Joseph initiated these council members through sacred Masonic rites and rituals that would use passwords and penalties of death if those... Uh, uh, pass if those covenants were broken. And then that is when Joseph Smith began to openly speak when he had his council set, Emma was on board, he had a king and queen to the, to the rights. Then he began to speak out about how to take over the world through this theodemocracy, this, this theocracy really. Interestingly enough, and to me terrifyingly enough, the members of that council of 50 included mostly LDS people but some non-Mormons too. Each of them were hand chosen by the prophet himself. Why non-Mormons? According to the prophet uh, John Taylor, the Lord told him that he had told Joseph that non-Mormons would continue to be around in the millennium and a just government would have to include them too. So in that special side parallel group, Joseph had non-Mormons in there. And what it was, it was this kind of um, uh, ecumenical group that sought to dominate the world through a political action. The council members were organized into a hierarchy according to their age, with Joseph as the chairman. And this uh, world council Joseph formed, according to the revelation, never took hold at that time. Joseph Smith died, and they, yes, they sent out ambassadors, and yes, this council was the foundation that tried to make Joseph Smith the president of the United States, uh, but LDS uh, President John Taylor tried to get this council back in place, and he is the last prophet of the Mormon church who publicly was anointed as a prophet, priest, and yes, king over the world. So they continually ordained publicly these prophets of the Mormon church to be prophet, priest, and king over this world kingdom. I don't know if they still do it today. I don't know if Thomas Monson's been privately done, but they don't do it publicly. I would suggest that someday the minutes of the Council of 50 as established by King Joseph Smith are going to be revealed by the LDS First Presidency from their secret vault, and they're going to use it to establish a theodemocracy Joseph dreamed of seeing back in his day. I would suggest that men like Glenn Beck are attempting to lead the way to such a revolution now. I would suggest that the world political domination is the goal, the aim, and the drive of Mormonism today. The question remains, is this what you want? Uh, more importantly, is this what you think Jesus Christ wants? 
Is this the kind of kingdom, this earthly kingdom that he is seeking for? His uh, kingdom would be established here on earth or is Christ's kingdom established in heaven? And we look forward to being a member of that kingdom. Are Christians to help establish a kingdom of righteousness on earth today? What are the biblical expectations of people who know they have been saved by, uh, faith, through, uh, by faith through grace, uh, by grace through faith, to learn the workings of this world? How much should we get involved as Christians? Should we try to save the world and join hand with the Mormons in fighting political things? I would suggest that Christ's kingdom had nothing to do with this world. And it won't have anything to do with this world until he comes to reign. And that his true followers ought to preach Jesus Christ crucified and to leave the rest to the subjects of the king of this world. With that, let's open up the phones. 801-973-801-973-8820. Uh, tv 20 First time callers, please. Turn down your television sets, please. I know the shopping days are gone, but we want you to be aware of what's available through Lathia Ministries at hotm.tv. So check out our new spot for Heart for Israel. We're going to Debbie from Layton, Utah, on line two. Debbie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. Um, I'm calling about uh, a comment that you had made um, about it was an email that the guy, I think it was a, a guy that said, if you're saved and you commit murder, then, you know, how, you know, are you saying that you're still saved or whatever? Yeah. And I, I have been. I was a Mormon for 14 years, converted into a Mormon church, uh -huh. and I left the church uh, almost 14 years ago, uh, thinking that the church was true. I just couldn't live up to the standards, and and felt like going to church every week. You're not supposed to leave feeling terrible. Yeah. And so um, I I left, and then I met my husband now. Uh, three years ago, and have slowly learned the Christian views of things. And I was saved last summer, but anyway, I have been really studying a lot of things, trying to understand um, the Christian beliefs. And um, when I, I always have questions, but this time I called in, and because this is one of the big things for me, is if you're saved and you go commit murder, you said how they go against one another. Mm -hmm. 
That it's not something you would want to do? Well, it's not something that you would want to do if you were looking upon the cross and what Christ did for you. But right. the, the right, problem but is, Debbie, is that forget murder. You're going to be saved and you're still going to do things wrong. Right. So sin is still part of our life. Paul talks about it in Romans that we're in bodies of flesh and that's where the sin resides. And so until we're free from that body of flesh, there's a war between our spirit, which is saved uh, by Christ, and our bodies, which we are living in and which are not regenerated yet. So yeah. we are always well, going to have sin in our lives, even as believers. But that propensity towards sin will go away the more you are sanctified by his word and following him and his spirit. Yeah, I understand that. But one of the lessons that I had in my Sunday school class was that... and this is in a Christian Sunday school class, yeah. was that, uh, and it was a big thing for me, this story was about David and Goliath and how God helped David overcome Goliath. Yeah. And then later David uh, looked at Bathsheba and um, had her husband killed because he wanted her. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, it talks about how after that he, he got back into good graces with God and, you know... Um, it's so hard for me to understand that, how someone could go that far and that God could even forgive you. Well, um, Debbie, we're talking uh, now, another thing, we're talking about an old covenant, which David was under and the new covenant. Let me ask you this. When did Jesus pay for the sins of the world? In the New Testament. Yeah. And how long ago was that? Um, 2000 years ago. That's right. And Debbie, did he pay for the sins that you committed 20 years ago, the sins that you committed yesterday, and the sins you're going to commit in five years? Yes, that's what he said. That's right. So if he paid for all those sins, and you have been born again, it wasn't your righteousness that caused his blood to save you. It was your faith on him. On him. It's not your unrighteousness that caused you to be unsaved. You got to understand, and it's really tough for a Mormon mind to get through to this. If you stay yeah. on the line and give our operators your address, I'd love to send you uh, my book because I think it will help you understand the nature of sin, but relative to Christ who paid for your sins, past, present, and future. So there is no losing your salvation if you fail as a believer. So you're saved. If you're truly sought after the Lord and asked for his forgiveness and accepted him as your savior, which I did last year. Uh -huh. um, sorry, it's a little emotional. It's okay. But um, you're saying that um, whatever sins you commit in the future, even though you want to do right, you want to do good, because that's what's in your heart, yeah. that Jesus forgives you. And he did, he, even David. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that that young man that e emailed, he, it can happen. Some people can accept Jesus and, and turn their lives away from God and go wrong. Sure. And then realize they've went wrong and they need to turn their life around and follow Jesus again and ask for forgiveness. Sure. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I, I, many people go wrong. We all go wrong, Debbie. And I'm saying that God is long-suffering because his son shed his blood. And those sins that, 
that the person who goes wayward were covered. That person needs to return to their faith. They need to return to their looking on the cross as their source of salvation. That is the only thing that will take a person from their life of sin and bring them back into a life of a righteous path that God wants them on. Uh-huh. It's not an easy hey, well, concept for, for someone coming out of Mormonism. Yeah, it is. It's very difficult, and um, I appreciate all your shows. I watch them all the time and even twice trying to understand things, oh, and I've had a much greater understanding. As a matter of fact, it's hard for me to believe that I believed in that stuff. Yeah, I know. But um, it, you, know, you know exactly how I feel being in the church as long as you were. Yeah. But uh, I had no other religious background, and that's where I was drawn to. And I was like Eva last week, where you had those feelings, those feelings overcome you, and I thought that was the Holy Ghost telling me that's where I'm supposed to go. Right. And, and so your, your comments that other spirits talk to us and they can deceive us just uh, completely blew my mind. <laughs> Um, well, praise God. But I've learned so much from you and the scriptures, reading the Bible, and I appreciate all you, all that you do. Thanks, Debbie. Will you stay on the line so we can send you that book? Okay, thank you, Sean. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Okay, line two operators, and we're going to go to Bob and Logan. He's LDS, and he's a first-time caller. Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, Sean. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. Nice to talk to you. Good to talk to you enjoyed your show for some time. I told the screener that I was LDS, and technically I am. However, I am lapsed. Uh, a couple years ago, I discovered the church wasn't true, and in the process of removing myself from the church and trying to figure out, you know, what I do believe, um, I had some good discussions with some evangelical Christian friends, and uh, from one time to another, they told me that, you know, they hope that I find the right Jesus so that I don't end up in hell. And I was wondering if I could ask you a couple of questions about hell. Sure. Okay. Uh, as I've thought about hell, I've kind of wondered, um, why would a loving and just God physically torture me in hell for, un for all eternity? Yeah. It doesn't seem like that meshes with being loving and just. Yeah. Like, why would you have an infinite punishment for what is a finite crime? Do you want me to uh, explain explain that one first? Oh, uh, sure, yeah, that'd be great. Okay, Bob, this is the way, uh, the best I can give you in a, a thumbnail sketch of it. Hell okay. was not created for man. It was created for angels who defied God and he sent them down to a, a pit. That's where they were. They were in his presence and defied him like Satan. So, but man uh, will inherit and they will receive hell if they refuse refuse to accept the gift that he sent his son. Now you would say, what kind of loving God would do that? Well, this loving God, he, we, we kind of view him as, as ex-Latter-day Saints as this anthropomorphic father figure. What we don't understand is he is a consuming fire, but he so loved the world that he sent his only son to suffer and he poured his wrath out for our sins upon that son who had, did not deserve one ounce of pain or suffering because justice had to be met. Well, he pours this out on his son who he gives freely and his son does everything. And then there's people who say, forget his son. I don't care what you've done for me, God. Your son, I don't believe him. I don't want him. 
Forget the son. Well, God says, well, listen, I so love the world, I sent my son for you, and you want to discount that, then you can inherit the place that I created for the angels, and it's a place of eternal torment. And that's the best explanation I can give to you for the loving God argument. Okay. Well, thank you for that. You're welcome. Uh, one thing I've wondered, is it possible for somebody, if they go to hell, can they ever get out? I don't believe so, no. Jesus, Jesus himself spoke a lot about hell. He says it, it, the smoke ascends and the flame ascends forever and ever. Now, a lot of people who don't like the concept of hell, and it's, it's not politically correct, have said, well, there's probably a time and there's things like that. But Jesus called it eternal. And in his parable of Lazarus and the rich man, there was no, there was no getting out. Once you were there, you were there. Okay. So, since hell is eternal, and it sounds like we're, we were made in such a way that we're, gonna, we're doomed to go there anyway without the atonement of Christ. Without Christ, yeah, and that's why yeah, he without, came. Without that, everybody goes to hell. Everybody goes to hell, yeah. We're, we're made that way, which... Right, right. I'm not sure why a loving God would make us in such a way that he sent us to hell, but uh, at least there's a way to get out, but... Yeah, I know, and you could go that route with the whole Calvinistic argument of he made us, he knew where we were going to go, and he knew I wasn't going to accept the, his son, and so he essentially made me to go to hell. Right. But the problem what's, what's is, Bob... The is there's what's the purpose of hell? Why did he make hell in the first place? For angels. He made hell for angels? Yeah. So that's where the hell's angels go? Probably. I'm just kidding. So am I. Hey, uh, well, I, I was just wondering, you know, that was, that was kind of like where I ended up on this thought is, what's the purpose of hell? Why does God need me to be physically tortured for all eternity? Well, he doesn't need you to be physically tortured. Uh, what, I mean, okay, I'm going to take really quickly. I know we've been on this for a minute, but let me just explain it to you this way. Okay. Right now, the blood of Christ and his mercy and God's mercy, there's a distance between action of evil and punishment. Now, in hell, there is no time, and so there's going to be, there's going to be an attitude of evil and instant punishment which will result in more attitude of evil, which will result in more instant punishment. And that's the attitude of the people who would go there, who so hate the Son, and you think, well, who would do that? Well, they're there, who do not believe in Christ and mock Him for coming here and doing what He did, that they are going to say, I hate that Christ. Boom, punishment. I hate Him more. Gnashing of teeth. Boom, punishment. No time. This constant, and that's where I think this burning and this hell and this, this condition will be. Now, Scripture also tells us we will remember them no more. It says it in at least six different places. We won't even know the people who go there because it's just, they're just going to be banished because of God's holy presence. So it's, a, it's, a, it's one you got to mull over. It might take some time in Scripture. might take prayer. But in time, you will begin to get it as you get who God is and His holiness. Okay. Does that help, my friend? Okay. God bless you, Bob. Keep going on it. Okay, take it easy. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to quickly go to Katya, Susan, and Carl. Katya's in Santa Cruz, California. Katya, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Um, this is Katya, and um, I'm actually like having a lot of anxiety right now calling you. How come? Um, I was born and raised Mormon. And I'm 35, and I just sent in my name 
removal request on the first. Wow. Yeah. Um, and part of it was because I was I watched some of your excerpts on YouTube, and the first couple times that I watched it, um, it made me sick to my stomach, and I decided that I didn't like you. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's the normal uh, effect I have on most people. <laughs> what was that? That's the effect I have on most people. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> um, but then I learned about the first vision and how there were three separate ones. And so I started watching your show, and now I just think you're hilarious. <laughs> um, but I have a ton of questions, more than I can ask here. I guess my biggest question is, um, after learning the truth, I feel terribly deceived and controlled for my entire life. And um, to think about going to another church makes me nauseous and um, and sick. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, how can I know what's really true now? Um, uh. Because you... Katya, let me, let me address that question tonight. And then if through email, I'd like to put you in touch with Jamie and Laura, some people who are helping answer these questions. They're biblical scholars, and uh, Laura was LDS for many years. So I'll put you in contact with them if you'll email us. But right now, let me answer that question. Okay. You have your heart and your mind and your trust and your faith and your belief has been scorched. Scorched earth policy. And they have done that to you. That is one of the evil things of Mormonism is that if you don't buy it, so many people can't buy anything again. Someone leaves a Baptist church, they don't like what the Baptists teach, they can go to the Pentecostals or the Presbyterians or the Catholics, not in the Mormon church. You leave it, most people, they just fall in the gutter and, and writhe in their agony, even hating God. Right now is a time for you, if you can, to not trust any man or woman or preacher or pastor or bishop, but to open the word of God, start in the book of John and start reading a chapter a day or whatever amount you want and talk to God. You go in a quiet place in your room, your book, your study, your car, and you talk to God and you say, open my eyes, Lord. I have been burned by religion. I am seeking you. If you are there, guide me, open my eyes to know and hear the truth. You keep reading his word and I promise you, I promise you he will speak to you and your heart will soften and he will guide you to the church that you should go to. Now understand, there's a lot of very bad Christian churches out there. There's a lot of good ones, very good ones too. He will lead you. You might walk in one and you say, I want nothing to do with this place. You might go to another and say, this is more to my liking. That's the liberty that Christ gives you. But right now, go to him in prayer. It's a matter of faith, and it's not trusting me or anyone. You go to him directly. You have that right. Jesus gave you that right through his blood, and he will open your eyes, okay? Yeah. Um, I, uh, <laughs> sorry, it's, um, it's so scary. It is I scary. I get afraid to, um, I, am, I get afraid to pray because I'm having trouble, like, wondering if there even is a God. I know. And um, and thinking about everything that I've been taught about the last days and 
you know, how you have to be right with the Lord and um, all the fear that they put in you. And if you're not ready, then you're going to burn with the rest of them. And, and, uh, you're doing good, Katya. I don't, don't want to be... I don't want to be in another cult. I don't want to be controlled again. I don't want to be um, chastised anymore. I don't want to be... Um, I don't want to be separate and bad anymore. And I'm, so I don't know what or what or even, like, even if I trust myself to know and figure out what's true. Uh, it, it's so painful, my sister. I know. I've been there. I became a nihilist. I became embittered. I didn't believe in anything either. And it is so hard. And I, my heart is with you. But God is with you more. And, and it, it, He knows where you're at. It might take some time. But just don't give up. Do not give up on the idea that there is a loving God who does not ostracize who does not do all the junk that, this, that these religions will do to you. And he loves you completely. That's why he sent his son. And let me tell you something, Katya. If you were the last person and the only person on this earth, his son would have died for you. He did it for you. His blood is just as important to you as it is to a billion people. It's just as important. And he loves you just as much. Incomprehensible for us to understand. It's not your righteousness. You are not going to be good enough to ever get there. That's why Jesus came. And he's talking to you and he's reaching for you now. But the journey is so difficult coming out of this religion. That's why we do the show. So please hang on. And will you please hang on the phone? I don't know if you're a reader. But again, I'd love to send you our book because I think it speaks to the very things that you're suffering through right now. And take it. If you don't like it, the first page, throw the thing away. It's just my insights on it from my own journey. But you have the word of God, Katya. Go and take and open it up to John and start reading. I promise you he'll talk to you and you won't be deceived. Okay. Thank you. Okay, my sister. You keep Thanks going. Thanks for doing this show because um, it's been like, you know, I don't have anyone here really in person that I can talk to because um, when you leave, you can't talk to anyone in the church. Right. And most people out of the church don't understand. So you've been kind of like my support system here that you know like a, a face that i can watch that that gets it praise god hey stay on the line don't hang up we want to get your number so i can give it to jamie and laura who would love to call you and you can call them anytime and also uh email me and give us your address to the operator okay okay thank you thanks hang on all right operator line two i think we're going to Carl in Salt Lake City. Carl, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Carl, you're on the air. Yeah, I'm here. You're on the air. Okay. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, this is Sean? Yeah. Uh, Sean, I got um, a couple questions for you. Like, um, you know, I'm African-American, and, um, you know, when I first came to Salt Lake City, um, some LDS was telling me that, you know, black folks have, uh, you know, the curse of uh, Cain. Now, I'm kind of, you know, kind of, I don't believe that. But then I was hearing some Rastafarians. Your number so I can give it to 
Jamie and Laura would love to call you and you can Somehow we lost you. And also, uh, Hello? Are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Okay, keep going. Okay, um, yeah, and um, I had some Rossifarians tell me that um, we might have the curse of ham. And um, my other question is, 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 um, is the uh, Mormon religion going to be part of the Antichrist when the time comes? It's a good question. Everything they represent in terms of a religion seems to echo that all the elements of the Antichrist will gain power. They're wealthy. They love wealth. They love presentation. The things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, those are things that are not of the Father. Well, they're going to be uh, of the Antichrist. I don't know. It would be pure conjecture. But I can tell you that the things they represent, the pride of life and the lust of the flesh, and that doesn't mean sexual lust necessarily, but that's there too. It seems like there's a possibility for that. They're trying to be a worldwide kingdom here on earth. That seems to be a possibility for that. Uh, so uh, that's a good observation. Go back and watch our show on racism last year. It's probably around in October or November. And you can see all the history of the LDS Church regarding Cain and the stuff they used to say. Is that all right, my friend? Oh, yeah, that's great. Okay, Carl, I got to let you go. We're out of time. Okay, thank you, Sean. All right, and you I take care. Bye-bye. I've been watching you all year. Thank you. Have a good day. God bless. Glenn from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, where I served my Mormon mission, says Mormons once taught that three of the original 12 apostles were granted life on earth until the second coming. Do they still teach that? What they actually taught was that one of the original 12 apostles during Jesus' time, John the Beloved, didn't experience death, and he still is on earth somewhere. They used to teach that. And they taught that uh, there were three Nephites in the Book of Mormon who were granted uh, no death on this earth either. And those guys roam around the earth and do good deeds for people. That was part of something I learned when I was a kid. Now, I don't know if they teach that. I don't know if it's folklore, but I know that it was definitely taught from the uh, pulpit. It was taught by the Sunday school teachers, the seminary teachers, the three Nephites, and there was, there's folklore about it happening, so I, I really couldn't tell you. David and Ogden, first time caller, I'm sorry we can't get to you, but I just want to end with some quotes. Joseph